Hey, how are you doing? My name is Dean Dwyer, and you are listening to Unrecognizable. It's a show where I actually teach you what I believe to be the greatest skill you can ever invest in, and yet that is the ability to change your own behaviors, because I think it's the secret to happiness. Imagine if you could take your worst behaviors that are holding you back from getting what it is you want in your life, and you figure out how to actually change them. That's, I mean, that's the secret to happiness. And so that's what this whole show is about. And what I do is I share the things that I'm working on, the things I've discovered, how they're working for me. And your job is to listen and sort of pull out the stuff that you feel is useful, disregard anything that you think is useless, and then apply it in a way that's unique to your life so that you can generate the results that you want. So today's show is 10-Minute Body, the psychology of a successful training program. Now, I will tell you, I am still, by the way, I got an itchy nose here as I'm talking. I am still in Sudbury. I am recording this from my father's basement. You know, it's interesting when I do the podcast. I can't do it when anybody is around. Like he was just sitting upstairs. And I know that if I tried to record this episode, and knowing he was up there, I'd be all goofy. And uh, so I was actually going to go out into his garage again, but he just left to go and pick up my niece. So I got the whole house to myself. Hence, mayhem will ensue here, my friends. Mayhem will ensue. No, it just allows me to. Uh, there is an introverted side to me when other people are around, and that comes out when I'm recording these sorts of things. But what I thought I would do, I mentioned in one of my newsletters, my recent newsletters, that one of the things that I find fascinating, and I believe that this is a big bugaboo that we all make when we are looking to study success, is we keep sort of focusing on what people are doing. And I thought, everybody asks what I'm doing. Not a single person has ever said, how are you thinking about what you're doing on this journey? Nobody's asked me that question. Because mindset, without, without a doubt, the reason that I have been able to transform my body at an age when people think that that, that kind of transformation is not possible is not based on what I'm doing because I've done that stuff before. The reason I've been able to change things is because of how I think. So whenever I am looking now at solving a problem, the very first thing that I look at is I need to figure out what my present mindset is because that's the thing that's causing me the problem right now. I think a certain way, which forces me to behave a certain way. I need to figure out what the mindset is that's at play, and then I need to come up with a new one. So what I thought I would do here is I would tell you or share with you the 10, 10 mindsets. There are, there are more that I have, but I thought that the 10 primary mindsets that I have around uh, my training program, which I call 10-Minute Body. Now, before I tell you the 10 mindsets, here's what I want to say. This is not a show about saying, hey, you too should do 10-minute body. That's not the point, right? This is not about doing what I do. It's about understanding the thinking behind what I'm doing so you can create something for yourself, right? Whether that, whether you, you listen to everything and you say, I really like what he's doing. So I'm going to steal that idea of 10 minute body, but I'm going to make it my own, or I'm going to do my own version of five minute body or 20 minute body or, or, or coming up with your own name, whatever it is. That's, that's 
the bigger lesson with this, right? It's not about the idea that you must do what I'm doing. I just want you to understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. All right. So with that as sort of the uh, precursor to the show, here these mindsets are in no particular order. Um, But the first one that uh, I have put down for me is that my training program, I want to, I want to create a program where I can be 911. And what I mean by that is I need to be able to save my own life or someone else's in an emergency. So there are some questions that I need to be able to answer and some things that I want to be able to do, right? Like, so for example, I want to be able to pull my own body weight. Now, how that plays itself out in terms of emergencies, I do not know. But sometimes I think about like, for example, what if, what if I'm in a house fire, right? And I'm, I have to climb up or I have to climb down to, uh, you know, to another floor and I have to go outside and, you know, whatever it happens to be. But can I do that? Like, I want the ability to be able to do that. And that was my, uh, that was the mindset I used when I started investing in pull-ups because I despised pull-ups, like despised them. And the reason I didn't like them was because I couldn't do them, right? It was something I'd never trained. Uh, I was always too heavy to be able, you know, I'd see people, you know, doing sets of 10 and I could barely do two. And I told this numerous times, but when I started, I could, I did two and a half the first time I did this. And like they were painfully, they were painful. They were awkward. There were, obnoxious noises coming out of me like it was it was not a pretty sight but i now do pull-ups every single day like that is a it's a vital behavior that i invest in for my 10 minute body i make sure that i do a minimum of 10 but now i'm up to 20 so you know if i have the time and you know depending on what's going on i will do a total of 20 each day Uh, i can do a set of 10 now and then I usually do some version. If you if you are following me on Instagram, I posted yesterday uh, the second uh, I did a set of five where I did a pull up, and then at the top I held it for a count of three before I lowered myself back down. I did five of those, and then I did another five with a different hand grip and stuff like that. But I want the ability to be able to pull my own body weight. Here are a few other things, um, a few other questions that I had asked myself on this program that I wanted to be able to do. I also want to be able to push my own body weight, right? You know, doing push-ups and those sorts of things. Um, I want to be able to swim a certain distance. So again, I, I try to think of scenarios where, um, like what would happen if, for example, I have friends who have cottages, they have boats. What happens if we're out on the boat and it capsizes? Do I have the ability to swim to safety? Right? What if someone is drowning? Do I have the ability to swim out to them uh, to rescue them? Right? Do I, do I have that ability? So I want to be able to swim a certain distance. Uh, I want to be able to have the flexibility and the agility to either prevent myself from falling or to protect myself so I don't bust myself all up if I do. Right? That, that's, a, that's a mobility flexibility issue. You know, one of the crazy things that we seem to accept i'm going to get to this in my in my final mindset but this whole idea about aging and and people falling down and stuff like that i I don't think anybody's ever actually sat down and thought why is it that 
falling down is so detrimental to the elderly. And it, I'll, I'll, I, I've done some thinking on it, and I, and I, I think I know what the answer is. And you can, you can listen to my answer, and then you decide whether you agree or not. We don't work on flexibility. Like we are incredibly flexible as kids, and then as we get older, um, we lose our flexibility. Right? Like people struggle to bend over and pick their keys up when they drop them after a certain age. Well, why is that? Because we don't actually train flexibility. So then falling becomes an issue, right? Our balance becomes an issue because we don't work on agility. So, you know, for me, that, that's, a, that's a deterioration problem over time that we just, you know, through nothing other than neglect. So for me, I want to be able to, so I'm actively working on flexibility. Last night, I was at my mom's place and while we were chatting, I, you know, threw myself on the floor. Well, I didn't throw myself on the floor, but I placed myself on the floor gently and I was working on my uh, seated pancake, right? The ability to, you know, to sort of sit in my version of whatever a split is right now and uh, slam my head into the floor. Okay, I didn't slam my head into the floor. I don't know. What, where's the violence coming from, Dean? What's with these violent verbs that you're using? Uh, but, you know, like I can, you know, I can actually lie and, and kind of get my my body down on the floor and get my forehead and my chin down to the floor at this point in time. But I want to be able to do stuff like that. And then uh, the other one is I want to be able to uh, run a certain, you know, to be able to run a certain speed. And I often think about like, what if you're out on a walk and there's a stray dog, um, you know, that's chasing you or I'll, here, I'll give you, I'll give you an actual example of something that happened, but it didn't end badly for me. I was out, this was last winter. I was out for a walk on a, a trail by my place, uh, 10 o'clock at night. And all of a sudden I see this dog in the distance coming down the trail and I'm like, no owner around. I'm like, Oh, this can't be good. Stray dog. Well, first of all, you don't see stray dogs anywhere, but again, a dog loose is not a good thing. Um, it turned out to be a coyote, which is probably even worse than, than a stray dog. He just ran right by me. But in that situation, let's just say he doesn't run right by me. Let's say he's running at me. He attacks me. What do I need to be able to do to save myself? Like, you know, and so I'm often looking at situations like that. And I'm thinking like, like when I'm walking, I'll see a wall and it's like, could I actually climb up over that wall to safety if someone's chasing me or like again a coyote is after me or or something like that coyotes by the way don't tend to attack people but you never know right like if they're hungry enough they'll they'll you know they get desperate they'll they'll do desperate things but so i'm always sort of i i I try to to look at different situations say like could i climb that tree how would i get up that tree how would i get up that wall could i get up that wall could i you know what are the skills that are required, right? I need to be able to pull my own body weight, but I also need flexibility to be able to, for example, jumping over a fence, right? In order to jump over a fence, you've got to be able to sort of push your body weight up the top of the fence. Then you've got to have the flexibility to get your leg over. So those are the kinds of things that I think about. Sorry, I just <laughs> just dropped my reading glasses. Um, so number one for me is I want to be 911. I want to be able to save my own life or someone else's in an emergency. So my training should reflect that. Number two, mindset number two, design a daily program that works on my worst day, not my best day. Now, I got to tell you, I think this is probably my favorite out of all the things that I designed for myself. And I think that this is another major bugaboo that people make. Um, and, and not And not just with training, by the way, we do this with everything. 
we we design something assuming that 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 our day is going exactly the way that we want. I don't know about you. My day never goes the way that I want. Once in a while, you know, I get the odd time where it does, but more often than not, there's something that happens that throws me off. And so uh, as an example, like I used to do like extreme, I used to invest in extreme programs, right? That were, you know, required 30 minutes of my time or 45 minutes and sometimes an hour of my time. Now, on my best day, I could do those. You know, I had the time, I had the energy, I had the enthusiasm to do it. But more often than not, my day didn't go as planned and it was so painful to convince myself to do these things. And there was a tremendous amount of resistance that ultimately over time, like I might be able to finally convince myself to do an extreme workout that day. And I could probably do that for weeks, you know, and maybe even for a few months. But that what I ultimately have learned throughout the course of 53 years of failure is that I can I can force myself to do something for two or three months. But at some point, there's a price to pay and the price to pay is burnout. Uh, and then it, it's no longer sustainable. So this time around, I thought, okay, um, I need to design something that that I could theoretically accomplish on the worst of days. And that's the way I look at it now. For me, it's not about what's the most I can do. What's the least that I need to do to have success? And I ultimately settled on 10-minute body, right? That for me, I thought if I can do 10 one-minute exercises a day, that that that's all, you know, that, that would be fine. That would be fine. And there's a couple other concepts around that that I'll get to with other mindsets. But but that was a huge game changer for me. Stop thinking, you know, stop designing things around my best day and start designing them with the idea that uh, more often than not, it's not going to be a great day. So let's f- design a program that works on that day. And then on my g- best days, if I want to do more, I can. I actually choose not to, though. Um, because that's a slippery slope for me because once I start doing more, that becomes my new normal. So I actually, I have to keep holding myself to say, don't, no, I know you want to do more. Don't do more. Just do your 10 minutes. You're done for the day. So I, I, I really, I really work hard to stay within that threshold. Mindset number three, this is another one that I, that, that has been a big game changer for me. I don't train to lose weight. So in other words, what I've done is I have uncoupled, thank you, Gwyneth Paltrow, for that word. I've uncoupled weight loss and training. I think it's a huge mistake for people to think that, that, that well, sorry, this is a Dean bias. So you have to take this, you have to, you know, listen to my reasoning and then you can decide whether or not there's any validity to it or not. Um, but I know from my own life, there is zero evidence that training causes weight loss. I think people jump to the wrong conclusion with this because a lot of people say, oh, yeah, yeah. When I start running, for example, I lose weight. And I thought, well, that's – I mean it's interesting that people say that. But I thought I, – I think you're skewing the data here with this because usually what happens is when we invest in an exercise program, there's a bigger theme at play here, right? We're, we're, we're investing in a healthier lifestyle and people also change their eating habits when they invest in these exercise programs. But we falsely think, oh, it's the training program that loses weight. Now, everybody and everybody is different, right? So, you know, there are some people that might say, no, no, like if I don't change my eating, but I 
do this kind of exercise at least that's great for you but i have found that for me that that um you know i mentioned before i did this extreme program i did it for 90 days i did nothing with my eating nothing changed i didn't i couldn't even tell i was doing anything so you know nobody else could could see it either so i realized that i need to uncouple the two i do not train to lose weight i train for two reasons and two reasons only to reshape what my body looks like so not in other words to tighten it up and to get it to look the way that i want it to look and to um, change what it can do right so again i want it to be able i it's i think of it like a swiss army knife i want it to be able to actually do things i want it to be able to run fast i want it to be able to be bendy i want it to be able to i want it to have strength so that i can pull myself up and do push-ups and and run fast if i have to all those sorts of things that's what i train for and what i have come to realize is that um, I, I don't do the big mistake that everybody makes is is by uncoupling the two, I never make the mistake of saying, oh, you know what? I trained today so I can eat this thing or eat these things or eat this way for the next five days because I trained. I don't make that trade-off because it, the math doesn't work, right? Like the number of calories that we burn in a workout does not compare to poor eating. So so that's the other big benefit of uncoupling the two is I never I never use training as a way to get away from uh from my eating, right? Or that I don't use training to make up for my eating mistakes. So that is mindset number 3. Mindset number 4 own your program. In other words, claim it. So again, this is a dean bias, so you have to uh, you know, you can noodle on this for yourself and, and figure out where you sit with this. But here's what I have come to learn about myself and what I believe uh, prevents other people from having success. I don't believe we can have long, long-term success when we are investing in someone else's program. Because here's the thing you have to remember when somebody creates a program and why I sort of gave this warning at the beginning. 10-Minute Body is designed for me. I think it would be irresponsible for me to say, hey, everybody, you should do 10-Minute Body too because it worked for me, it will work for you. That's not how life works. We all have our own unique DNA. The point is not to steal my prescription. The point is to steal my principles and then use those principles to design something specifically for your DNA. So you need to create... Oh, sorry, I didn't finish that point. I think when we are doing someone else's program um, and we constantly say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm doing this or I'm doing that. I think it undermines our own success because we do not think that we are the authors of our success. We keep attributing our success to that program or that person, which is why I'm also not a fan of personal trainers. By the way, I'm not saying personal trainers aren't valuable. They're hugely valuable if they do their job right. And I think, you know, again, there are some trainers out there, the way that they set their program up, whether they realize this or not, is they want you to be dependent upon them. But that's not, that's not like ultimately what we should be doing is like, no, I want you to be able to succeed on your own if I'm not around. And I think that's the problem with programs where we, we invest in a program. We think the program is responsible for our success rather than ourselves. That's not a sustainable mindset long term. That's going to undermine your confidence 
and your success moving forward because you don't feel that you are part of the solution. You're just doing this thing. So what's really, really important is that you need to design a program specifically for you. By the way, this is not just training programs. This is also for diet. This is I'm, this show is not about diet, but um, what the, I call it a diet from one, right? We need to stop investing in programs like, for example, keto. Because the moment I invest in a program like keto, then what I'm, or keto, sorry, I'm pronouncing it with a D versus a T. Um, the problem with that is that I exclude all the other great ideas that are out there about diets, right? That we then say, well, I'm keto. So, um, you know, vegetarianism isn't for me or they like there are things about vegetarianism. There are principles for veganism, vegetarianism, paleo, South Beach diet, whatever it is. Um, Weight Watchers, like there are principles within there that are valuable principles that, you know, and when you when you are stuck with a label, it prevents you from sort of seeing the other principles that are out there. So it keeps you from having the kind of success that you could have. So for mindset, number four is you you need to own your program. You need to claim it. And then number five ties directly to number four is you need to name it. I think in order to have success, you design your own program, then you give it a name, right? And so for me, I call it 10-minute body. And there's no, <laughs> there's no genius to why I call it 10-minute body. It's 10-minute body because I do 10 minutes a day. But that's a unique name for me, right? Like that's, that's, I, that's a program I have designed for myself. And I believe that that has been instrumental in my success, right? 890 days in a row now, I have done, on most days, 10-minute body. The goal is always to do 10 minutes. Uh, a couple nights ago, I only got eight. But for me... Eight minutes is better than zero minutes. So, you know, it, I think the least I've ever done is five minutes. And even five minutes, I know, is is enough. Like, if I'm doing my pull-ups and my push-ups and a few other things, like, that, that's good enough. I said the goal is always 10. Um, I would say 90% of the time I get to 10, but some days I don't. But the goal is always 10. 10 is manageable for me. So... Uh, you need to give it a name. I'll give you a non-training example of someone I know who has created an eating program for themselves and they gave it their own name. Now, some of you uh, might be familiar with this gentleman. His name is Abel James. I met Abel uh, back at PaleoFX in 2012 and so we have conversations from time to time. Wonderful, wonderful man. Uh, him and his wife, Allison, are Lovely people, uh, but Abel was in was initially in the in the uh, in the paleo space, but he made some tweaks. You know, there were things, uh, there were principles from the paleo diet that he really liked, but there were other things he didn't agree with. So he made some tweaks and some changes, and he ultimately created a diet for himself called the Wild Diet, that he then turned into a best selling cookbook, and it's a program he now sells other people. Right, so it there's there's tremendous advantages to long-term success when you begin to start taking ownership for your programs and then you give them a name. The, the naming, I believe, is vital. You need to create a name that's unique to you because that will go a long way to reinforcing your own success. Mindset number six then, so you own your program, you name it, and then you frame it. So 
what I mean by framing is you create your rules for success. What are the rules for your particular program? And they are unique to you and your particular DNA and the context of your life, right? When I was designing 10-Minute Body, I actually, uh, the way that I was thinking about it, I wasn't actually even thinking about myself. I was thinking about a uh, stay-at-home mother of three. Could a stay-at-home mother of three, three small children, could she look at what I'm doing with 10-Minute Body and say, I could do that? Like, would that fit within the context of her life? Any of you who've had kids, and I'm talking to the mother specifically, uh, then you know time is, a, is, is at a premium. You do not get a lot of free time throughout your day, right? Which, by the way, and I don't know how you do it. I, I, I can barely, I'm single. I can barely handle myself for the whole day. So I, I can't even imagine, you know, having small children and how much of a drain that is on your time and obviously a loving drain but still it's a drain um but i thought like so that with with that sort of thinking about it that way i thought like they would need a program that when their children suddenly you know fall unconscious for a nap for you know 30 minutes or 20 minutes or you know whatever it is that she could squeeze in a few things throughout the context of her day. That was the way I was thinking about it. But the point is that whatever it's all specific to the individual, right? You have it has to be the context of your life, right? Like it could be again if you go to an office every day but you have an hour for lunch and you can leave and go somewhere to do training, then you would design something around that. But again, it's it's we have to design it within the context of our lives. And that's again the downside of investing in someone else's program is that they design, they've designed the program for them and then they say, hey, do what I'm doing. But it's like, like for most of those people, that's what they do full time. They are fitness professionals full time. It's easy for them to do that. You have, a, you have a working life and a relationship life. And so you've got to design it within the context of your own life. So you create your own rules. So a few rules for me for 10-Minute Body. Obviously, I have chosen to train in 10 one-minute intervals. That works better for me because what that allows me to do then is I squeeze my training in throughout the course of my day. Um, I I just, I used to do the way everybody else did it. You know, I thought it had to be this one, you know, you carve out 30 or 45 minutes. Too much resistance for me with that. That was not sustainable, burned me out, uh, horribly inconsistent. I've been incredibly consistent with this is that so for example before I jumped on to do this podcast I did uh, three minute body so I and it was just I did three different sort of uh, chest building exercises some push-ups and and a couple of other things that incorporated some flexibility um, into that as well too so now I've got three minute body then I have seven minutes to go over the course of the rest of my day and I just I squeeze it in you know, again, while I'm waiting for my veggies to steam sometimes, you know, I may have 10 minutes while I'm just simply waiting on that. I can get two, three or four minutes in if I want, right? So I tend to work in two or three minute segments uh, at the most. And I said, just throughout the context of my day. So before I go to bed, I generally have my 10 minutes done. That has worked particularly well for me. Uh, I keep it to a mat. Here's another rule. Keep it to a maximum of 10 minutes. I know what I'm like. Right. If I start, if I if I start altering, if I start, I may I'm an extreme junkie. 
So knowing that, I have to keep walking myself off the ledge and say, oh, but I could do more. It's like, yeah, you could, but don't, you know, leave it, leave it in the tank and, uh, you know, take that energy and use it tomorrow. So I consistently stay within my threshold, right? Uh, the goal is always 10. Sometimes I may do 12 minutes, but I said, I really have to keep my, like, really focus on keeping on my 10 because I'm playing the long game, right? This is not, could I do 30 minute workouts? Absolutely, but I don't want to because I know that will burn me out and I won't, it'll prevent me from playing the long game. And then uh, another rule that I have is I train daily, but I'm thinking in decades. So I train every single day. So again, I I dismiss this whole thing that we need a day off. Uh, I don't need a day off because I'm not tearing my body apart every day. I'm only doing 10 minutes, right? And I do it over the course of my day. I hardly ever sweat. The only time I ever sweat, ironically, is with the thing that you would think you wouldn't sweat from, and that's flexibility. Flexibility, I'm telling you, it makes me sweat like crazy, And but pull-ups and push-ups do not make me sweat. Again, because I'm only doing them for a minute. So... um so I, I never have to worry about that. So I don't have to shower after I work out or anything else because I'm, I'm not tearing my body apart. So I train daily, but I'm thinking in decades. So again, the idea is bundle days into weeks, weeks into months, months into years, which is where I'm at now. I'm at about two and a half years. And then uh, in seven and a half years, I'll have my first decade under my belt. But like I'm playing the long game with this. And when you bundle behaviors together, the the results become exponential. They do like they they do build on themselves when you play again when I'm leveraging consistency, what I call compounding consistency. All right. Mindset number seven. Equipment is optional. Right? I, I to myself I say like I, I design a program that's equipment agnostic. It doesn't require equi- equipment in order to do it. Right. And that's been a huge it's part of, of uh, I'm going to talk about this in one of my other mindsets, but it's about the idea of removing resistance, right? Um, so I resist the urge to, well, I'll, I'll tell you how that sort of came about. The, the reason that came about was because for the first 45 years of my life, for me, when I thought about training, it was at a gym. I always worked out at a gym. In fact, I always thought I could never work out from home which I realized was a false belief that I had. We can teach ourselves to do anything. We're unbelievable what we can teach ourselves. But I, I, I had bought into this notion that I could only work out at a gym. And uh, I was dependent on the equipment that the gym provided. But there was a tremendous amount of resistance around that because whenever I traveled, in order to train, I would have to find a gym, which you know, was incredibly difficult to do. And and if I couldn't find a gym, then I wasn't working out. If I went to someone's cottage, obviously they didn't have a gym. So I wasn't working out there. Like I, it, it created a tremendous amount of resistance. And so I thought I need to design a program that if I am in a empty room that I can still do 10 minute body. So it's really all about body weight training. And I think about it. Equipment is a bonus, Right, so if I do have access, so for example, I brought my pull-up bar with me. But the last time I came down, I didn't have a pull-up bar with me. So what I would do is, whenever I went for my walk, I would look for places that I could hang myself off of and do pull-ups. But um, I decided to bring the pull-up bar this time because it's kind of the middle of winter; it's super cold here, and um, 
there's a tremendous amount of resistance about the idea that I have to go out for a walk and I have to find a place to do pull-ups. And because pull-ups is a vital behavior for me, I want to be able to do them every single day. So I have a pull-up bar that actually comes apart and I can put it in my backpack. I took the bus up here, fits in my backpack, it's perfect, right? Doesn't take up a lot of space. So, I, you know, if I do invest in, equip, in, in equipment, I'm trying to invest in things that, can I take this with me? Like, can this travel with me? So that's why I'm not going to invest in a treadmill or, a, or in Peloton or anything else. I don't want to be, I'm not, and by the way, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying that for me, I don't want to become dependent on those things. You know, those are bonuses if you want to have them, but I want to be able to do my program with nothing at all or being stuck in a room where I look around and I use my creativity to create a workout. And like I'm sitting here right now in my dad's basement uh, and I'm looking across the room and I can see that he has one of those little mini trampolines. So I, I, I actually haven't used that yet, but I could, I, could, I could do something with that, right? I could figure out some kind of you know, training program. I, you know, maybe I'm doing um, um, sort of uh, knee jumps or knee tucks, right? So I, I bouncing on that thing and then sort of, you know, bringing my knees up to my chest and doing a set of uh, 10 or 15. I bet you actually that would be pretty exhausting. In fact, you know what? I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that after this podcast. There we go, right? So again, it's using... Uh, the equipment, that, or, or, you know, any of the tools that are available in a room that I'm in to create a workout. I, I also see over there that um, there is a um, a broom handle uh, that's sitting in the corner as well, too. So I could use that for some flexibility. Uh, there's a, a move called, the, they call it shoulder dislocates, right, where you hold the bar at either end and then you you know you the bar your arms are in front of you and then you bring them up over your head and then behind you um a lot harder than it sounds but anyway so i can do i can i can do a uh some version of that too so that those are some of the rules that i have created for myself so that i can uh, i'm not dependent on equipment but if i have access to it absolute bonus mindset number eight I need to be able to train anywhere that my feet are at. So I need to create a program for myself that is geographic independent. Doesn't matter where I am. Because again, it used to be that I was I was dependent on a gym. I want to be able to train wherever I'm at. So I'm at my dad's place. I've been able to effortlessly and easily do 10-minute body while I'm here. Uh, if I'm at my mother's place, I can also do it there. Uh, she lives in an apartment building, so you know I've got access to a stairwell where I can do stuff. And um, again, if I'm out in a park, uh, I've got friends who have cottages, so you know, like using their woodshed and and uh, you know the rocks and all the stuff that I can find in the environment to create a workout for myself. So uh, it has to be something that I can do regardless. Like for me, travelability is is important that my diet needs to travel, my training program needs to travel so that I can adapt to the situations that I'm in. Mindset number nine. And I've kind of already um, alluded to this, but I relentlessly remove resistance. I'm constantly removing the things that make uh, success improbable or impossible, right? So again, by for example, the equipment, right? By not relying, by not having to have equipment in order to train, then I, I'm removing resistance. That that it's not like oh I can't train today because I don't have equipment. 
One of the reasons I don't actually have a gym membership anymore is there's a tremendous amount of resistance around having to go to a gym. We don't think about the fact that uh, you have to go there, which means there's a time investment, right? So for most people, they have to drive there. So you've got to find the time. You've got to drive there. You have to park. Maybe you're paying for parking. Then you have to go in. You have to change. And then you are, uh, you know, like you have to wait for equipment. And then when you leave, you've got to shower. And then you got to drive, you know, you've got to battle traffic to get back home. Like there's a tremendous amount of resistance around that. And the advantage of me of being able to train wherever I'm at is like literally I can do two more minutes of, of, of 10 minute body. As soon as I'm done this, I'm literally going to walk 10 steps across the room to do that exercise I just told you about. So I eliminate, like I'm constantly looking to eliminate resistance so that I can accomplish my goals. Uh, a few other things that for eliminating resistance, changing clothes for me, getting like getting into workout clothes is resistance that prevents me from, you know, consistently doing what it is I want. So I train, I designed a program where I don't sweat, so I don't need to change. Uh, A couple of other things, again, with the travel, I don't have, you know, like I need to be able to do it where my feet are at. I also don't want a program that's dependent on money, right? So, you know, I don't want to feel that I have to invest in expensive equipment or anything else. That's just simply... You know, it's resistance that that prevents a lot of people from doing anything, right? Think of how many people say, oh, you know what? In the new year, I'm going to start doing this and that. It's like because there's a whole bunch of resistance around, well, you know, I'm going to set the money aside so that I can, you know, join a gym and whatever it happens to be. And then the other one for me is um, uh, I don't want to work on other people's schedules, right? You know, when we are doing someone's class that's at a certain time, that usually that time is not convenient for me. It's convenient for them. I, I want to work. I want to do my program when I want to do my program, how I want to do my program. So for me, it's really important to constantly be eliminating resistance. Um, this is not part of 10 minute body, but I also mentioned before about the fact that the goal is to walk three kilometers every single day. Uh, it used to be uh, 10,000 steps, which is about six and a half kilometers. Too much resistance with that, especially during the pandemic. That's like an hour and a half of walking a day. And I, I there was too much resistance around it and it wasn't fun anymore. And I thought, well, then cut it in half. And I had to kind of wrap my head around the psychology of that. It was hard at first, right? Because you feel like you're failing. It's like, oh, I should be doing. So now it's, you know, it's get a minimum of three. If I get more than three, bonus. But the goal is always just get my three in. So I'm always looking at ways to eliminate resistance so that things become a lot easier. And mindset number 10 is, for me, when I'm doing this stuff, age is a non-factor in my decision-making. I do not use my age. So I'm presently, as of this podcast, I'm 56. I remember one time I was talking to somebody and I told him I train every day. And he's also in his 50s. And he had said something to the effect of like, hey, shouldn't like – shouldn't we be like, like, aren't we supposed to take like time off? Especially you said, you know, for our age. And my comment was, first of all, I don't buy into the whole aging thing. Uh, aging thing is based on a lot of false beliefs, right? The false belief that, um, you know, looking at, see the way that most of us think about aging is that we're looking at the generations that have preceded us 
and we see what aging has done to them and that scares the bejeebers out of us and we assume that we are going to be following the same path. Um, I don't buy into any of the aging beliefs at all because uh, I, I said the way that I think the way that most of us have approached life is that the reason we fear aging is because we deteriorate over time because we're not training flexibility. We're not training our strength. We're not focusing on good, healthy eating that will allow us to lead um, long, healthy lives. We're not, we're not investing, we're not investing in any of the, of the essential habits that will lead to great health and allow us to continue to be flexible and strong, you know, into our seventies, eighties and nineties. And so for me, all my decision-making, none of my decision-making is ever factored into, well, Dean, you're 56, so you should be, you know, doing age appropriate. No, none of that. If I see some 25-year-old kid who's doing something and I think, oh, I want to teach myself how to do that, then I figure out how to do it, right? Like I, I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I haven't committed to this uh, the way that I should in order to be able to f- fully succeed at this. But, you know, one of my goals is to be able to do the splits. Now, somebody would say, sorry, the side split, because that's the harder of the two. Now, there are people that would say, well, is that realistic? Like you're 50, like I, again, I don't use any, none of my decisions are based on age. I, I don't, I don't give a rat's patootie about age. I, I, it's a non-factor for me. So when I'm looking at things, I don't care how old somebody is. I don't care what people think is possible at a certain age. The way I'm thinking about this is I'm going to rewrite the rules for aging and I'm going to use myself as the example. So, so age for me, it means absolutely nothing. I, I do not care because the, uh, because again, I said, I, I think that I understand why we fear aging. And it's like, well, and I have the antidote, right? Which is, you know, if, if, if aging is a result of deterioration, then what do I need to do so that I don't deteriorate or that I slow the process? So there you go, my friend. There are my 10 mindsets. So I, I as usual, I have, not I have, but you know, like, what's in this for you? Well, I said it's important for me that uh, I share with you how I think about this so that you can steal the things where you think like, yeah, yeah. I Like, for example, I just talked about aging, right? You may completely disagree. Now, I'm going to ask you to be open-minded and challenge your own assumptions. But you may ultimately say, yeah, I, I think he's way off on the aging thing. Then you completely ignore it. You say, yeah, that, that that's not useful to me. But uh, being able to save my own life or someone else's in an emergency, that's a mindset I really like. So I'm going to steal that. Then steal it. So steal the principles that work for you. But I said, I, I do think there are some key elements there for your long-term success that we, and in order to succeed at anything, we ultimately need, it's always the idea of designing a program for one, right? A training program for one, a diet for one, is that we stop investing in, these mass solutions and start pulling out the, the ideas you really like. You know, one of the things in paleo that I, that I stole from paleo was the sort of the whole food approach, right? I really liked that. So I, I took that, but I, I, I got rid of the label and, and some of the other dogma that comes with paleo. And, and I took that and I apply that now to the Dean diet, right? I need a better name for my, my 
training or for my diet program. But but it is it's a Dean diet. Like I'm designing something specifically for me, right? It's not low carb. It's not you know uh, you like it's. I said I've designed something around my own principles. So. Your job is to listen to these, pull out the things that you think are valuable. Um, also pay attention to other things that come up that are not necessarily connected to what I was talking about. Because those, if they come up, they're important, right? And so you need to pay attention to that. Find a way to get this stuff down on paper so you can actually start really thinking about it and and sort of organizing your thoughts on this. Because it's one thing to kind of just get trapped in your head thinking about things. It's quite another thing to put it down on paper. That's where you begin to organize and expand on your thinking. So that is it, my friend. I hope you got some value from this. And um, as I record this, it is tomorrow is New Year's Eve. And we are coming into 2022. And I've got some, um, I'm going to talk on the next, uh, the next not necessarily the next podcast, but about how to kind of the uh, concept. I, I'm going to share with you some of the um, one year projects that I am I'm I'm going to be focusing on in different aspects of my life for 2022 uh, to give you some ideas about how you can sort of think about you know really sort of making 2022 something spectacular. And here's the other thing that I'm going to suggest to you: um, carve out a you know half hour of time between now and you know tomorrow write down all the accomplishments for 2021 that that you um that that are outside of anything that you've done on a year to year basis what are some of the uh things that you have done that are um uh, you know that that you had never done before you know what were your significant accomplishments i think what a lot of people will find is that we didn't do much in the like a whole year passed and we got nothing significant to really say that we did or that we committed to. So, and if that's the case, then we can actually, we, we can correct those things at any point in time. All right, my friend, we'll talk soon. Ciao.